BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Mini Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is even capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy Heresies, and welcome to the Desert of the Real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Especially with the latest AB Live. Audio version for thee in this eternal now in Red Pill Cafeteria. A paramount but sometimes overlooked deity is Artemis. Her gifts and threats are essential to heed even today. To understand the relevance and background of this goddess, we had the pleasure of being joined at the Virtual Alexandria by Dr. Carla Unescu, who discussed her book, She Who Hunts, and archaeological research. Prepare for a comprehensive compilation of Artemis's symbols, rituals, mythology, and historical impact. And keep in mind that by popular demand, Astronosis 2 Meet the Archons is now available to stream in both audio and video. Dive into the world of Gnostic and Hermetic thought. Experience the Archons replay with exclusive access to hours of captivating presentations and discussions. Immerse yourself in the magic of Astronosis 2 at the Theosophical Society. Yes, more than 12 hours of mind-blowing insights from renowned scholars and visionaries, covering everything from the historical origins of the Archons to psychological interpretations and rituals for individual liberation. Check out the show notes for access to a once-in-a-life opportunity. And just as cool, if you join the Virtual Alexandra Academy, 
you will get the entire Meet the Archons replay at no extra cost. Doesn't get better than that. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, video game, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget I have an Amazon wishlist and a fantastic merch store if you want to support this venture. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. But first, a clip or two from the show 1883, which highlights the mindfuck duality of holiness and demonic power that is nature and its ruling force, which in essence is Artemis. Welcome to her life. There's no turning back, even while you sleep. I didn't have the heart to tell her there is no heaven to go to, because we're in it already. We're in hell, too. They coexist right beside each other. And God is the land. Looking back, there were two journeys. One was filled with danger and death and despair. The other, adventure and wonder. I was on the latter, and I loved it. Wait, grab that shoulder! I didn't know enough to know they would collide. I didn't know enough to know how cruel and uncaring this world can be. The world doesn't care if you die. It won't listen to your screams. If you bleed on the ground, the ground will drink it. It doesn't care that you're cut. I told myself, when I meet God, it will be the first thing I ask him. Why make a world of such wonder and fill it with monsters? Why make flowers and then snakes to hide beneath them? What purpose does the tornado serve? Then it hit me. He didn't make it for us. And welcome, everybody, to AM Byte. Welcome to AB Live. For those of you uh, on audio watching, whether it's YouTube or Rockfin, you just saw seven uh, influential Gnostic women. There are actually more. But it's always good to, when doing a show, a theme of the goddess, which we've done so many, to show uh, one of the great char- char- characteristics of Gnosticism is that many of the founders of the many sects were women, and women were always part of the congregation. They were always leaders. So it's good to know. For those of you who will be listening in audio, I will have a clip about the power, beauty, and danger that is nature, that double-edged sword that is nature, because this is definitely keeping with theme of this show, which I feel was very destined, as I as I will relate later. But first, we want to uh, welcome our guest. Very excited to have Dr. Carla Unescu, and she will be discussing a lot about Artemis, including her great book, which I really enjoyed, She Who Hunts. Carla, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. I'm very excited to talk about Artemis and the book and, well, just Artemis overall, wherever <laughs> he takes us tonight. Uh, so, but am yeah. <laughs> so am I. So am I. And I can't think of anybody better because uh, I would assume, uh, like me, you love scholarship, but you also love the aesthetic and the spirituality of these gods. Absolutely. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's always nice to talk. I mean, for example, one of my favorite guests and my friend April DeConnick, uh, head of uh, Rice University Religious Studies, great scholar of Gnosticism, but she's also a, you might say, a believer in these things. So yes. it really helps. Yes. <laughs> and with us, too, we've got a man, a scholar and a gentleman. We've got the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you doing? Oh, I'm uh, just fine this evening. I um, guess we're going from archons to archers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so we are I, I, I always lo- love all the Greek gods and so forth. And uh, Artemis is very interesting. You know, they all have such interesting personalities, don't they? That's yeah. the cool thing about the Greek gods. They have loaded with personality. 
Yes. And it's almost like we're just getting to know them, right, Carla? Yes. It seems like yes. uh, the world had these sort of caricature views of these Greek gods. Of yes. They represented the weather, and Dionysus was this fat drunk, and uh, Eros was this cute baby with his little baby butt shooting arrows, and Hermes was this sort of geeky guy with tennis shoes. But an Artemis, of course, just yes. this sort of surly huntress and Apollo's little sister. but. Yes. We, we've missed it, don't you think? Yes, yes. I love the fact that there's a revival going on. It feels like uh, it feels like it's just it's picking up speed, you know, more and more people are talking about them. It's almost like they're you know they're coming back to life. there's a there's a, there's definitely a revival of them all. and the complexities of them all, I think is really what's fascinating, you know um, that they're less cartoony. Uh, <laughs> Right. Yeah, like Disney's Hercules, or well, right. we've we've all known the cartoons or the show Hercules, and you know right. they're just kind of basic, silly, one-dimensional. Yes, yes, yeah. But no more, no more. And I think it's a very important time for this. And yes, I wanted to share with the audience about this show. Uh, I was already following you on Instagram because uh, I always just thought your stuff was just so cool, but. About two months ago, Carla, and during the spring, I have this very long Persephone, like uh, adoration. And for some reason, I tie her to Elizabeth Fraser of Cocteau Twins. It's complicated, but it works for me. <laughs> and uh, it was a great sort of uh, Persephone spring. But then these things started happening soon as summer was coming and the solstice and uh, a guest would come on with a book called Artemis. I would be at my daughter's ballet recital and open the program to be like Artemis Crafts. I would open a book and search for something like about the Gnostics and, oh, my God, Artemis. And more and more, every time I turned around, it was just Artemis. Even things like we have we live by the preserves and there's lots of deer, but suddenly deer were coming around the house, which they never do to eat. I guess I wasn't cutting the grass or whatever it was. But what? I was like, it's so easy to see deer now. This And, I, and of course, I immediately said, hmm, who's in charge of deer? Then we, I find out news that for the first time in generations, brown bears have made their way down to uh, northern Illinois. And, of course, I'm like, hmm, who's in charge of brown bears? And over <laughs> and over. And, I, and I kept, then I started having dreams and uh, strange ideas like, I decided, uh, I started this ritual just out of nowhere. I would go outside and walk with the flashlight off into the trails in the woods. And during June, you have the fireflies coming. So the entire woods is lit up with fireflies. It's the most beautiful. It's like Christmas. It's better than Christmas. And on top, I would see the full moon just going down. And I kept thinking, oh, my God, Artemis. Artemis is like, this is her beauty. But, of course, this is her danger, you know tripping over things, uh, hearing coyotes and like rushing back. But and so uh, I know whether whatever level of reality you choose, whether you think the gods are cosmic energies, archetypal images, interior processes of the soul or they're literal, you know, whatever works for you works for you. I'm not going to judge. But I know when you have sinks and I know when a, a deity calls, whether it's in your mind or not, you better lean into it because there is something important or you have some tasks to do because the alternative I've learned of not listening to the gods is damage. Something <laughs> bad's going to happen. Something. So therefore suddenly I was like, I've got to reach out to Carla and we have to do this interview or I'm not going to mess around of all the deities in my head. The one that I fear more than, Cthulhu or the Demiurge or Zeus says, I fear Artemis more than anything, probably because I've lived in nature in the country for so long. So yes. what do you think? Yeah, she is somebody to fear. It's it's funny that you say that because I feel the same way in the sense that, um, I mean, for me, it's been a long time coming that I felt this calling and calling and calling. But recently, it's like, yeah, it's like there are more and more people that are saying, hey, you know what? I'm having this connection to her. Uh, or I'm having this dream or whatever. And so I'm really starting to think that she's really purposely entering the realm again. You know what I mean? Because yeah. so many people, so when I was writing my PhD, no one else was talking about her. 
even in my own circle in a sense, well, it was academic circle, right? And actually the reason that it was easy, easy for me to, to go with her was because no one was really talking about her in academe. No one was really studying her. You know, she was always relegated to this little virgin huntress, you know? And so that really, that really opened up the path for me to do the work. But there was no one to, you know, classicists are kind of like, oh, Artemis, you know, she's just like a young girl hunting in the woods. And so it was very difficult to have conversations where I'm like, listen, I'm finding all the stuff about this goddess. And she's really um, fierce. You know, that's a good word for her, right? I mean, that's a modern mm -hmm. word, but no, she's really fierce and she's really, you know, she's had a this massive following and her following is sometimes disturbing and sometimes intense and she's not a goddess to mess with. And so it was really hard to, like it started to feel almost like I was in a bit of like a, a, a vacuum by myself. And then once I published the book, I think because of that, people were more like, oh, well, I've loved Artemis for this long and oh, I've mm -hmm. connected with her for this long and oh my god i've been interested in her since whatever you know and then like uh, other wiccans and witches and goddess worshipers kind of came out of the woodwork um and was were like or maybe they were already there and i came out of the woodwork you know what i mean and they were like yeah she's connected to me for a while and i thought oh i found people that like get it you know um so that was very exciting very exciting very cool. Yeah, I mean, on this show, I've talked a lot. And again, it's not really my ideas. It's a lot of youngins and others about how we live in the, I call it the age of Hermes, because we are living in a, an age of transition and an age where the old ways are falling apart, where we are going through a doorway and Hermes is the god of doorways. We're living in a very trickster age where everybody's confused. Nobody knows what the future is. The past is finally coming back, but we're still figuring it out. It's just the perfect Hermes age alchemical. But also I started realizing you have to connect Hermes to Hecate because when you listen, read the Odyssey and others, Hecate and Hermes are very, they're almost like the flip side of the coin, helpers of mankind, but very dangerous gods to mess with. Yes. And you brought, yeah. And then suddenly I said, well, Artemis has to be part of this. And, of course, you mentioned nobody really did any work. I think Sorita Deste has been doing yes, some work I'm on to her tomorrow. I'm so excited. Uh, yes. Yeah. She's wonderful. She, yeah, yeah, she's done great work. But, obviously, Hecate is her you know, her main yes. babe, if you will. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so I said Artemis has to be part of this, especially if we as a species want to survive intact or sane for this next Whatever's on the other side of the door, I think we'll need Artemis for all her perils and opportunities. Agreed. Agreed. You know, and I always, I call her often a goddess of transitions. And that's mm. funny that you say that, that we're in this transition period. And maybe that's why she's appearing more and more to more and more people. Uh, because I do find that she shows up or she remains or she becomes the focus in transition periods. Um, and so this is a transition period for us, for sure. Um, and so, yeah, she's, she's in full force. For sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Please yeah. heed our words, people. And uh, <laughs> let us know if you have your own sinks or dreams. And I think, uh, speaking of, why don't we talk about her history? Because I, I feel reading your book that this is not her first rodeo, if you would, but she w goes back farther than Greece and she was a very powerful being in very old times. And then civilization went through a transition out of the bronze age into the hellenistic period and she still was the top goddess right that's people she's been kind of denigrated as like we were talking before the show apollo is like this popular jock and good looking guy and all the girls are never Ooh, apollo and artemis has been relegated as sort of like yeah she extra she's a jock too but she's kind of quiet in the background that's how it's been in history but uh, she was in ancient in the last transition she really is the most important goddess I would say so. I mean, so I argue that she is the most important goddess out of the entire pantheon, but you know, that's my bias, right? My own bias. <laughs> uh, but I would say, I mean, many of the Olympic goddesses survived right into the Greek uh, pantheon and then became sort of married off and all that kind of stuff. 
Artemis for sure, we can trace her back to Neolithic times and perhaps pre-Neolithic. It depends because if we hook her to the mistress of animals, we can go back five, six thousand years as far as that imagery shows up. Um, and the mistress of animals imagery shows up, you know, even pre-Minoan period. Certainly there in, it's in the Minoan period. Um, and then she even has roots in like Egypt and Neith and other, the double axe, for example, some of her weapons. So I would say that she is one of the archaic divinities, if we could use that word. So she predates the Olympians and was already, but maybe not in under the, but the, the, the name Artemis is already a little bit complex because it's not Greek, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but even without a name, if we call her just Potniatheron or the mistress of animals, she can go back, you know, 2000 years before the Greeks. And so then what do you do? You have this goddess of the wild, of animals, powerful deity, um, and great, great worship, many followers, expansive geography. And then, you know, as we move more into the Greek period, the Bronze Age, and then the Hellenistic Age, you know, I think that she was so powerful, as were some of the others, that, you know, the Greeks adapted them, obviously, but then they gave them husbands. And in the case of Artemis, they tried to give her a twin brother, you know, uh, an annoying twin brother that they, you know, they, they made her help give birth to. Um, and uh, but even with the twin brother, she is one of the only goddesses that remains independent. Mm-hmm. Right. Like she really has she's really, you know, what we would call sovereign. So she has no. No one that she has to listen to, really, you know, like Hera is the wife. So she's got to put up with Zeus and uh, Aphrodite has to put up with both Hephaestus and Mars. Uh, I'm Mars. Sorry, I'm sli- I'm mixing the names in here. Um, and an Aries. Uh, who else? Demeter. Demeter's all right, but she's a very, you know, suffering mother. She's got the responsibility of Persephone. Uh, Athena, I mean, Athena's got the responsibility of the entire military, right? Um, And so Artemis is the only one that remains free to roam the woods, kill people like she likes, save people like she likes. She's not literally tied to a man in the sense that she's not married off, nor is she in charge of a military. She has her brother, but I mean, you know, it's not really like a tied relationship. Um. Yeah, she hangs out with her nymphs. She takes care of her animals. She has cities and worshipers and people build great temples to her. And she just has a great time. Like she maintains that um, sense of independence, you know. Yeah, that is true. Uh, yeah, the, job. <laughs> the, the, the adventures of Apollo and Artemis remind me sort of like... Uh, Cersei and Jamie Lannister. They're a bit <laughs> twisted when they're together. They're not they're not right, but then again, that's me judging as a moral human being nature which I've learned is it's, it's complete folly. But can we say that Artemis is perhaps a continuation or the next the upgrade or reboot of the great mother Kybele or you have these ancient goddesses like Anat or Sekhmet, these very violent, sexually hungry, destructive, but very fun to hang out with if you survive. You know, they'll go to the underworld and kill death if, you know, just for the honor of their man or something. Can we say that she is the next iteration of this? I could say she's the Greek iteration of that for sure. Uh, I mean, if we're talking about segment, I mean, that is a very, I, that is a very um, aggressive divinity. Um, and I don't know if Artemis could carry that entire mantle, but certainly I think that she carries the mantle of um, the enforcer, you know, in the way that Sekhmet does for the Greeks in the sense of like when she kills Niobe's children, when she goes after people that hurt her mom, when Hera asks her to kill people or whoever, Artemis and Apollo, but Artemis is there and ready. And she is really an enforcer in that way. She slays people and doesn't, doesn't feel anything about it. Um, I would say similarly with Inat, I would certainly say Kybele, uh, especially for Artemis of Ephesus. In fact, there's a, a great argument that Artemis of Ephesus that has the, the bulbs on her chest, mm-hmm. uh, which I think are beehives, but some people associate with breasts. 
that that is a direct connection to Kaibeli, which is often referred to or often, you know, the, um, described as, as the many breasted. Um, so yeah, I would say that she, and of course, Artemis is tied to Hecate. She's one of the Catholic goddesses. She carries torches. Um, and of course that, that also connects her to Persephone. One of my favorite images of Artemis is, um, at the temple of Demeter in, uh, Eleusius with Persephone and she stands beside them carrying two torches as light bearer, you know? Mm. And so that's really, that's a really powerful image because she's one of the two other very powerful divinities. Demeter is extremely powerful in the Greek world and Persephone, of course, also. And here is Artemis holding torches as the light bringer, as the sort of morning star, you know, it's Artemis Phosphorus, right? Um, so I think she's, I don't know why she has been underestimated by modern classicists. To be fair, I think she didn't serve a purpose for them. Like she, so she's not a war goddess. She's not a sex goddess. She's not a mother goddess. And so I think a lot of the early classes were like, well, you know, what does she serve for us? <laughs> we got to put her somewhere. Yeah, you know, Scott, Western scholars. I got to categorize or put her somewhere. Everybody has everybody has a job in this hierarchical Western <laughs> society, but uh, well, she doesn't like guys either, right? She has no. not, not much use for men. So, no. and most of the scholars are men. So, I mean, That's even right. I feel it. Like, what do I want to? Be well, she was yeah. She's for? confused with the goddess of chastity, which of course both men and women in the West are like, well, who needs that? We have the Virgin Mary, <laughs> and men can go to the priesthood. So, what's the point in chastity? Yes. But, Yes. So. Yeah. So I don't think that she was, uh, yeah, I don't think that she was seen as, as a value to the early classicists. But I think that now that we're entering the sort of sacred feminine or reviving the sacred feminine or all this kind of thing, men and women are finding the value in Artemis now, you know, in that wildness and that sovereignty and that fierceness, et cetera, you know, in nature, you know, being free from the system or the matrix or whatever you want to call it. Well yeah. said, no, and yeah, and seeing again with me, it's seeing nature for what it is. It's uh, it's it's that uh, that uh, myth of Actaeon. I understand it perfectly because he sees Artemis bathing naked, yes. but then he gets turned into a deer and his own dog. So I'm like, well, of course, if you want to see nature naked, it's beautiful, but it's gonna kill you. I'm sorry, right. nature's gonna kill you, and all the things you think you've domesticated, all the science that technology, the dogs, they will turn on you because nature has a way of just you know clearing things out. We humans are ants, you know, it will clear us out. So to me, that's so powerful. And seeing nature, not like you know, these hippies, like, oh, it's beautiful. It's like no, it's also terrible. It's terrible too, right? Yes. Yes. I love that. I love that actually. I love that interpretation of Actaeon because I think that's absolutely right. Like the consequences of being in nature is that sometimes nature is cruel, you know, and it's not going to go, oh yeah, you care about the trees. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. And, she and she represents nature naked at its purest, yes. undistilled essence. Yes. And there's a there's also an, an unapologetic aspect of hers in the sense of like when she curses Acteon, there's no remorse. There's no, you know what I mean? Like this is the consequences of your actions, just like in nature. And that's all there is, you know? So there isn't a big like, oh my goodness, was it fair? Was it just? Do we need to go to court about it? Do we have to have, you know, <laughs> Athena sitting there judging the scales, you know? No, yeah. her decision is swift. He's transformed. You know, the rest is uh, mythology. Yeah, it's like when when my cat comes to my bed, it brings in a dead snake. We're not going to argue morality. This is nature. This is there's no there's no ambiguity. Death, die, or survive. It's simple. As That's that. right. Oh my god! Do you know how many times I've talked to my cat when they bring a bird, and I'm like, why? What do you do? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know and I, why? And the truth is that they're doing it for you. They're bringing you an offer. You are Artemis to them. You know, they're bringing you a sacrifice. That. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to be nice. That's the devastating part. You know, they kind of look at you like, say thank you, human. <laughs> we'll spare you. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, it's something else. So I think another reason, Carla, let me know your thoughts, your book deals with it, is that classicists miss it because we they had this sort of very terrible view that gods represented something, the weather, motherhood. But as we found out, even though there there's this new movement that wants to say that mystery religions never existed, just like there's a movement that want to say that Gnosticism never existed. But I think there were certain gods who were not just representing something there were gods of the the liminal place the inner journey the place of ultimate boundaries where human consciousness and emotion could go and obviously some of these gods are you see dionysus uh, persephone and wouldn't Art- artemis would cut, fall into that category that's why she was so universal and spread out because she really represented salvation the best part of it potential the places where the mind, only the soul can go. Yes, yes. I think so. This is, yeah, she's definitely a goddess of mystery. And in fact, although we have some information, I mean, I've I've collected information for this book, especially, for example, at Broran, of all of the bear, for example, imagery, and then the bear. We really only have, like, Aeschylus', Aeschylus play. Um, one of the things that's really almost, like, eh, a little bit frustrating is that, her priestesses, and this goes for many other goddesses, but especially for her and Demeter, there was um, like a silence. It was an oral tradition that was not written down. So no one actually, so I, I used to ask myself when I first started studying, like, what does the bear have to do with Buran? Like, what does Artemis have to do with the bears? You know, I mean, there weren't that many bears in Greece. I mean, there are some now in Northern Greece and there were back then, but there is this sort of mystery of the bear. Suddenly there's a bear and Broran is just outside of Athens and it's a mm. huge bear cult. So huge that the young women were calling themselves bears, acting like bears. And they would go through this ritual at the point of transition between uh, young women to like married women. So around 12 to 14, when they first get their menstruation, where they would shed the bear or shed the wildness. So they would wear, sometimes there are stories in which they actually wore bear um outfit bear furs uh a lot of the stories or the plays talk about them wearing yellow saffron robes that's the more popular one and they would go through a ritual which we do not know what it is it is not written anywhere but all we know is that they would shed their wildness i don't know what that means like literally how they did that um and then once they passed through this ritual they would be ready for marriage you know, so in one way, it kind of breaks my heart because it's like no one should shed their wildness. You know, you should keep it <laughs> um, in another part, though. We don't know if they shed their wildness because this is just one male playwright who says right. so. Uh, perhaps they didn't. Perhaps this is his fantasy. That's what that's what they did. <laughs> um, you know, we don't know. Right. He doesn't leave us notes. <laughs> Bear porn. <laughs> yeah. Like we don't we don't know. You know, it's like. Uh, that's his interpretation. We do know that they did like, they, we have a little bear of Broran. Like we do have artifacts that are like bear and Artemis is definitely connected. And we have, um, paintings on vases of girls dancing around the altars. And there's this sort of idea, but there's a lot of mystery around what did, what did it involve, you know? Um, and so, yeah, I think, and there's a lot of her temples in which there's mysteries around what was involved. Mm. And perhaps in part of that's because it was a lot of women's rituals, like birth rituals, pregnancy rituals, menstruation rituals, like let's say bleeding rituals or organic bio rituals, if we can call them that. Um, and women, if they did write something down, we don't have it. Right. So there's a lot of mystery around that, that in part. But also, I think a lot of it was secretive on purpose. You know, I think that there was a lot of like, this is not something we talk about outside the temple. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
you know for sure for sure yeah and i, I forgot to tell you yeah, the other day uh i did do a I did do an Artemis ritual. I was out in the woods. I made a little fire and I did my sacrifice. But of course, I can't tell you. It's a mystery. But don't worry. No animals. There were no no animals were involved. I did sacrifice something, but it was no something bears were harmed during this ritual. <laughs> no I would have been running back to the house. Uh, no bears harmed you during this. Yeah, ritual. yeah, that's more important. You were the sacrifice. Yeah, I'd be the sacrifice to the god. But she did have that bloody ritual. I don't know if you if you remember in the book of the Spartans with the bloody rituals. Oh, that's that was yeah. Tell the audience that was that's the one one that stayed with me for days. And, and, and so you know how many times I've seen three hundred or other Spartan movies, and not ever has anyone pointed out in the films. And I mean, I know I have high expectations for films, but uh, not not ever has anyone pointed out that Spartans worshipped Artemis. Like mm. there is an entire temple in Sparta. Um, actually, I had pictures of it, but many, many years ago. Uh, and I mean, there's not much left of it, but there was a huge temple or site in Sparta. Um, and yeah, this is where they used to do this bloody rituals. And so this is all men. Right. So this is a male rituals uh, and it would happen once a year. Sometimes the people say once every four years, depends who you read. But basically what they did is there would be a priestess of Artemis standing in the middle. Uh, so let's say it's a theater. Yeah. A nice theater packed with everybody in town and all the young men around 13 or 14 years old gather in the center of the theater. A priestess stands in the middle of these young men holding an effigy of Artemis. So some, some people say it was a, just a wooden structure. Some people say it was a cult statue, whatever it was. And these young men have these whips with little nails on them. Yeah. <laughs> and they begin to walk around the priestess and flay themselves with these whips so that their blood sprays onto the priestess. Could you mm. imagine this? Plus the cult statue. Okay. Because obviously the priestess is holding her. And they would do this until last man standing. Yeah. So first man that falls down, first young man. I mean, that's already a shame to the family. Everybody's watching it. If you're like in the top 10, I imagine that's probably pretty good. Last man standing gets the honor of, you know, having survived this trial to the goddess. And by the end of this, sometimes uh, like Pausanias tells us that sometimes the god, uh, the priestess would call it off. So if it gets really super, so she would tell, she would tell the audience when Artemis has received enough blood. Basically it was when the statue was soaked in blood. Uh, but sometimes some scholars say that they would go right to the end when there was only a few of the boys standing, uh, that this was a, like a feat of strength, you know, how much can you bleed for this guy? I mean, this is a really bloody ritual. And then people of course would eat afterwards and there'd be a festival and a party and all this kind of stuff. Um, but it's a, I, this, this, I mean, this would make a great HBO film. It, it would, it would be great, and like three hundred or or something like that. That was actually my ritual, uh, Carla. But I did it once and I passed out. So. <laughs> <laughs> I woke up. The priest of art was like kicking me in the face. He's a loser. No, You're not worthy. Yeah, it won. Just we couldn't take just one. What happened to men? Uh, but yeah, and the, there was the other one too, which was also stayed in my head where they they would burn all these animals right in one place and from all these different animals for Artemis. And if the animal tried to escape, they would just throw it back in. Yes, that one yes. also was disturbing. Yes, yes, she really likes her bloody rituals. Um, you know, she's not a goddess that you worship lightly. Um, I've had a few uh, friends who have done retreats and they've said, you know, we've decided to do Artemis as sort of the center of our weekend. And then they would be, they would, you know, later on, they would call me and be like, that was a really intense, powerful weekend. Everybody was acting really weird and everybody was, and I'm like, yeah, so this is not a goddess that you want to call on lightly because she you know, she's fierce. Like she is, you dedicate yourself to her and uh, you like, look at Callisto and, and, you know, I mean, all of these other, lots of other of her nymphs or entourage who, if they did not obey, she would just slay them or yeah. You know, she's not, um, 
she's, she's not like a loving mommy kind of goddess, you know. You're no. wondering why people didn't like her. Well, it is. You know, I mean, Huntress, though. Hunters loved yeah. her, right? Hunters, yeah. she was the goddess of the hunt. And really, that's, I think, the center of all of this, don't you think? It's fascinating because she begins as a mistress of animals and a goddess of the wild. So she, according to the Greeks, and this is later, so this is later, um, she demands from Zeus that he gives her all the forest, that he gives her all the wild, that he gives her all these nymphs, that he leaves her alone, that he never bothers her again, you know, as a child. He sits, she sits on, uh, according to Callimachus, she sits on his lap and goes, so I want this and I want this and I want this and I want that. And Zeus goes, okay, Sure. And so it's fascinating to me that she becomes a hunter goddess from a mistress of animals to the hunt. And I think that's more about like a social structure that kind of changed over time and hunting became so primary um, because she's very protective of animals and yet she hunts animals, right? And I mean, as hunters know, you respect animals and most hunters, you respect them and you eat them. You know, there's that there's that symbiotic relationship. Right, but I right. think that's what makes her really unique is because she slays the very things she protects if she wants or if she must. Yeah, similar to Native Americans, you know, in the North American South, you know, in the in the Western Hemisphere, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's complex. I mean, there's so many of uh her titles, death dealer, mother, healer, savior. Uh, I liked um, the strangled goddess. Uh, yeah. Maybe we can get into that story in a little bit. But there's she's so multidimensional. But again, I think she really, she's really talking about something uh, visceral and primordial in each person. Like Dionysus, a place where yeah. reason doesn't exist. It's just pure ecstasy, pure energy as close as we can get to that primordial soup or whatever you want to talk which all of us kind of crave to go back to or experience i don't get the mother thing by the way it that's kind of seems paradoxical but well didn't you say she suckles all of her uh worshipers well so some people say that um so the mother thing is fascinating because because she helps so she's often seen as a goddess of childbirth uh and and that comes from goddesses that predate her, like Elethea and Dictina, sometimes Britomartis. Mm. So there's other goddesses that were goddesses of childbirth. And for some reason, she's given this association because she helps to birth a- Apollo. And so she sort of absorbs those pre-goddesses, takes on this role and becomes the protector of women, of children, uh, of childbirth, this kind of stuff. And so in that way, she is the mother without birthing a child herself. Do you know what I'm saying? So she plays the role of helping with birth and helping raise children and helping protect all the, all the mother things. Yeah. Except the birthing part. She herself never has a child. She's not interested in that, but she is the protector of children. That is not even, you know, Hera or Aphrodite or any other goddess or Demeter uh, who have deity or children none of them are the protector of children Artemis is. So that's a really, so this is what, this is what shows me like how complex she is as a divinity because she's so multi-bodied, multifaceted, you know? And, and that's from the bottom up in the sense that the, her followers give her those responsibilities, give her those titles, build those temples to her, create those rituals, you know? And so there must've been something in the community that they felt connected to her in order for them to give her those names and build those temples and those rituals. Yeah. Well, the mothers of the children must have appreciated her for protecting their children. So there is an allegiance right there, right? Absolutely. And they would, they would give like, there are stories in which they would give up their placenta to her. There are stories. They used to wear like a, a girdle sometimes after birth to carry the afterbirth. So once they were done with that, they would go and offer that to Artemis. Um, There's lots of stories of mothers. There are children who give up their toys to Artemis for protection or mothers who put, who give them children's toys, a very deep connections between mothers and her. Um, 
it's a lit there's a little bit of a missing link there as to why and when that happened um some people say she's comes from uh, comes from this idea of the mother bear because the bear mother has a long history uh you know you know even in neolithic times as a mother figure because mm -hmm. she's associated with the bear so there's a missing link there there's a little bit of like how did we get from here to here yeah. But we know that her popularity as a uh, protector of children is undeniable. That's weird, too, because bears are not that swift, right? But Artemis is, like, very swift foot. I don't know. A grizzly can go 30, 35 miles an hour. Really? <laughs> so, yeah, polar. Yeah, the bears are amazingly fast. Climb up tree. I mean, yeah, never try to outrun a bear. Maybe that's <laughs> I see one question. tonight. I am playing dead. It's like... It's, <laughs> <laughs> but um the other thing too yeah and for we'll get to your uh, super chats uh yeah i should have mentioned please super chat so we can see you good to see everybody there altruism grace media but matt graham i see i think i saw occult fan i see chester everybody good to see you and i, I love your conversations there but if you have a question we'll get to them soon your super chat um but i wanted to ask you carla before we get into that the idea of a fighting woman, obviously the Greeks, whatever they are, they're one of the most misogynistic cultures ever. It's like, uh, but the other big player in those days was the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire was probably a lot more level. In fact, women did go in the battlefield. There were archers, uh, Queen Tomeris, you know, destroyed Cyrus the Great. I mean, women were fierce fighters. In fact, the term Amazon, I believe, comes from the Greeks freaking out over these women shooting, <laughs> shooting arrows at them. Could Artemis have a connection to this or maybe some of the Persian goddesses like uh, the Gorgons or Satana or any of those? So absolutely. So, so, okay. So Artemis definitely has roots in Amazon culture. And in fact, uh, Pausanias tells us that Amazons built her first temples. And so that Amazons came down to Greece or came up into Greece in the area of Greece, the region of Greece. And that they built some of her first temples. So there is an absolute connection between Artemis and warrior women. Certainly archer women, which, which was a lot of women. Um, and so I think that there is something, you know, the Greeks are really fascinating because they really disliked women in some ways. Um, but, but they, they love really their god. They're, yeah, they, they, they're... They are very obedient to their goddesses. <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting psychology that they, you know, so that they, especially the Athenians, they disliked women in some ways in the sense of like, they didn't see them as equals, but they loved to come like to gain street cred by defeating an Amazon, you know, that there is something mm. about Amazon women that, that they saw as, uh, honor there's honor in defeating an amazon woman so and they were they were fascinated and fan they fantasized about you know so much over their art is about uh greek men overcoming amazon women and so i think maybe artemis again she kind of sneak she kind of slipped through the cracks there um and maintained that warrior female i don't yeah. know character um but i guess in a way she was not threatening to greek authority in that way you know yeah maybe she was out more in the the country like Dionysus yeah. she was more of the the common people out of the outside of the town square some yeah, on the margins the, com the common people's goddess but even the Spartans I mean great warriors had women who knew how to fight and they worshipped mm -hmm. Artemis which of course now wouldn't surprise us because right she's a warrior goddess um it's fascinating to me that the Athenians had Athena dressed in armor yet she doesn't fight. You know, it's a weird kind of thing, right? It's more like symbolic where Artemis is out there in the wild hunting, you know, using her weapons, let's say. In fact, now that I just said that, you know, uh, I think Artemis may be the only Olympian goddess female that. that uses weapons to kill. That fights, yeah. Yeah, that you're fights. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Athena, I think, is more guile. I think she's more trickster. She's on Prometheus' side. So she tricks the enemy. She comes up with strategy. She comes up with ambushes, you know, to help the yeah. Athenians. But, She's a politician. I mean, yes, okay, when they have the wars, you know, when they have the wars with the giants or they have the war, everybody fights in those. 
Um, but yeah, I think I'd say Athena definitely becomes more of a politician, uh, more like a Supreme Court judge, you know, over time. <laughs> yeah. And for the audience, uh, you the most famous Artemis in our culture has not gone away. That's Wonder Woman. She's based That's right. off of Artemis, Diana. That's so, right. Yes. Because then the Romans loved her so much, right, that they, they take her from the Greeks and turn her into Diana. Although they do lean her more towards the moon and Selene. Mm. They, they kind of, I don't know, they, they lessen her uh, fierceness a little bit. Um, but they actually spend a lot more time in, like, the darkness mystery of the moon, in moon mysteries. She's in charge of a lot of that. So I guess that was something the Romans were really. So Diana does a lot of that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, they got her an agent, you know, <laughs> PR agent. <laughs> well, they need to make Wonder Woman reboot her closer to Artemis and she'll be yes. like cutting people's heads off and slicing people. She'll more she'll be more like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the old movies. Just <laughs> killing people. <laughs> and uh, some question are asking, what about the idea of virginity was she a goddess of chastity because for example uh virginity was sometimes a honorific title you're a complete woman isis is called a virgin uh Haphrodite has been called a virgin in the gnostic gospels barbalo is a virgin but she's giving birth to all these aeons every five seconds was artemis a real virgin or was it a title or is Hmm. it complicated i mean it's kind of complicated you know and i just did uh i just finished for pride month i did the gay gods of greece Mm -hmm. and i talked about how artemis uh may have had female lovers that her nymphs and her entourage which is all women may have been female lovers the greeks would not have counted that as sex as they were very big on penetration and uh, who's on top yeah it was all domination like my two cats that are neutered but sometimes they get in a fight and one has to dominate and the greeks and the romans were that way it's like who's on top who pen it wasn't really about it's not about sex yeah it's a different form of consciousness right yes so you're right so two women would be probably wouldn't even register no, 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 no. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, she's called Parthenos. I mean, like, like you said, they all are called Parthenos. And it's unclear. I mean, there's lots of debate in scholarship of whether this is a pious term, you know, so a virginal woman, a virginal woman would also be a pious woman. So a woman that's not married, a woman that remains in the faith, in the spirituality, whatever. Um, and so in that way, yes, Artemis remains a virgin because she never gets married to anyone um and she's virginal in that way but i I think like biologically like hymen wise you know like if we're looking at that i don't know that the greeks really cared that much about that it was more about like like being married belonging to someone uh then you are no longer considered uh virginal and so that's how all these women are virgins and yet they are able to push out babies because they're they're seen as pious as sort of i don't know higher than normal women or men you know there's like an honor it's like an honorific uh title yeah but in some sense she does have a boyfriend like orion and so that's right she does doesn't last long it's more of a like one of those 50 tragedies or something (laughs) no the man dies the man dies yeah it doesn't last long. And as far as we know, there's no, as, as far as it's written or what we have, there's no intercourse that happens. Uh, I mean, yes. So the only option for her would be Iphigenia, who she loves very much. Callisto in the story, uh, when Zeus seduces Callisto, Zeus disguises himself as Artemis. And Callisto goes willingly and they have this sort of affair or the beginning of a seduction or whatever, a sexual relationship before Zeus reveals himself. So this would tell us that Callisto would have seen nothing wrong with being intimate with Artemis. You know what I mean? In reading that, um, why would Zeus become Artemis to seduce her? It's an interesting choice, you know? Um, So she may have been intimate with her, female entourage yeah let's not get into the head of zeus that's that needs we need freud or somebody to deal with <laughs> zeus's psyche <laughs> he needs help yes help. yes yes didn't know zeus was a cross-dresser how do you like that yeah yeah, yeah. Zeus i mean in drag 
<laughs> yeah, Zeus and drag. I mean, Zeus has done every form possible from like a golden shower to a swan and then to his daughter. I mean, it's just creepy in this really weird way. Uh, but for me, what's fascinating is that this, he's successful. Callisto is very willing to, to be intimate with Artemis, uh, of course, before he reveals himself. And then she's horrified and tries to run away from him. And of course, he had impregnated her. And then there's all this sort of devastation and Artemis gets pissed off. Now, does Artemis get pissed off because she's jealous? Or does Artemis get pissed off because, you know, Callisto had sex with a man? Either way, we're told that either Hera or Artemis, someone ends up killing Callisto and mm. turning her into a constellation. So, I don't know. There's some hints in there that there was intimacy. But, you know, I mean, the Greeks would not have said out loud, so-and-so has sex with so-and-so. They had loved that language where they're like, so-and-so fell in love with, you know, like when Poseidon falls in love with Peplos and takes him up to Olympus. And loves him dearly. Like, yes, okay, we get it. We know what happens, you know. Or Zeus and Ganymede, you know, who takes him up to Olympus and has him in his bed. I mean, that's a little more obvious, right? Like, but but, but they don't write about the intimacies of women. They really don't. Unless a woman is, like, cheating on her husband or doing something that's, like, you know. So we don't know. We don't know. We just don't. Well, Vance, any uh, super chats? I think I saw one from yes, Chester. Yes, we do. We have um, Chester want to know, is Artemis a bit Lilith-y? <laughs> kind of, what's the relationship between Lilith and Artemis? Got I love that question. Feeling, right? <laughs> I love it. That could be a new word. Are you Lilith-y, <laughs> Lilith-y. tonight? <laughs> yes. And, and the answer, the first, the easy answer is yes, absolutely, Chester. I would say that Artemis is definitely Lilith-y. Um, I think that Lilith is portrayed as sort of more of a sex fiend, especially with Adam and her unhappiness with having sex with Adam because he's terrible. And, of course, nobody likes Adam anyways. Uh, <laughs> You know, the dude is a douche. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I think that there, that there's definitely like characteristics that are similar, you know, in like the rebelliousness, the fierceness, the, when God is like, Hey, you know what? Maybe like have sex with Adam the way he wants. And Lilith is like, uh, yeah, I'm out of here. See ya. So I think that that would definitely be something that um, Artemis would do, especially since, like I said, when she's young, she sits on Zeus's on her dad, you know, when she's little, she right. sits on her dad's lap and goes, So now you're gonna give me this and this and this. So there's this kind of and a Porsche and a key. <laughs> <laughs> you're everything. gonna give me all the things, and yeah, uh, yeah. you know, and I don't think that there's any other goddess that demands stuff from her father in that way. So, um, so yeah, I think that there is definitely Lilith. Uh, I mean, uh, arguably, I don't know. I don't know who who would be the initial divinity. Lilith is is very, very ancient, right? I mean, she goes back to Inanna and Ishtar and Ereshkigal and all that kind of stuff. Uh, And I suppose that there's an ancestor of Artemis's in there somewhere as well. Um, So, yeah. So they kind of have a similar beginning. Yeah. Of course, um, Artemis is not associated with the demonic the way Lilith is sometimes said to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Not there, right? Yeah, unfortunately for Lilith, uh, yeah, she really gets a bad rap, and uh, she, she, you know, she's said to be the queen of demons. But that's a much later, you know, interpretation. Um, I mean, she parties a lot. She has a great time. Uh, <laughs> Artemis doesn't party either, right? I mean, she, she does. Much. She does. I really? think she does. I mean, so she sometimes she's associated with Dionysus in the wild. There's a lot of that overlap with her and Dionysus. Oh, yeah? yeah. So there, and there are lots of um, instances where women in the in plays and different pieces where women are wi- in the wild in the woods celebrating Artemis. We don't know what they're doing, but they're acting wild. They're being wild. Um, Dionysus is more popular because men are writing, so they're writing about him more, but also because he's got the main ads. So the main ads and the antlered uh, women are very much an overlap between Artemis's deer culture and antler culture, and then Dionysus's cultures. Uh, so there is some mystery there between the yeah. two. 
For sure. You think if she got drunk, though, that somebody would write about it, you know? <laughs> like, was she I don't know drunk? that anyone would dare. I don't know yeah. that anyone would dare. Was she happy all of a sudden? She put down her bow and <laughs> let down her hair. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah. don't know. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> what, what I wanted to ask you, too, is uh, Apollo. I think you write... That's what I'm. I'm trying. It's fun to put the pieces because obviously we were talking before. I was. I've never been a fan of Apollo again. The, the quarterback jock, you know, <laughs> you know, popular guy. Why was he associated with Artemis? Simply because he had the sun and the moon. But at the same time, I agree with you. Apollo kills the python, the serpent, and that's how you know Marduk killing Tiamat. Yahweh kills Leviathan. It's. I see it as this big symbol where the serpent is these ancient animistic, fem- more female, where you had a priestess kind of culture, Ashira, the culture of Ashira. And these gods represent reason, civilization, the roads, everything. So, of course, when you have civilization, as I say, two things have to be sacrificed nature and freedom. You have to have slaves. And when you sacrifice nature, you have to oppress women. I hate to tell people, but that's civilized. If you want a civilization, I, we're trying to find a solution with these goddesses coming back. So do you see, so you agree with me, P- Apollo is kind of this turn into civilization, solar powers, left brain thinking. But it's in, do you think they sort of threw Artemis there so they could have their cake and eat it too? Like we can have nature. And still worship her, but she's under control of Big Bro. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so funny that you say that. So tomorrow I'm recording this Apollo Sucks. Why does Apollo Sucks episode? <laughs> and it's funny that you say that because one of my pet peeves that I'm talking about in this episode is the fact that he kills the python. Um, and no one seems to be like, you know, uh, then then he calls his oracle priestess the Pythia. I mean, the nerve. Right. Like I'm going to slay the Python and then the, the Oracle is going to be called anyways. Yeah. I have a lot to say about Apollo, but I think you're absolutely right. I think that, so Artemis predates Apollo. There's very little doubt about that. Um, and Apollo, yes, absolutely represents this movement, this, this patriarchal movement right. into left brain thinking into the, you know, the enlightened, the, you know, that sort of idea. We'll get roads and the trains will run on time and clocks will be okay. That's but right. That's right. Mechanical. That's right. that's right. And I think she is given to Apollo because it's the only, I mean, she couldn't be married off. I think that would have been much too treacherous. Um, she didn't have children, and even as a as a mistress of animals, there's no cho- there's no children, there's no partners. So I think sister plays a uh, it, it's that boundary line. It's like, well, she's with Apollo, so she has this masculine, I don't know, part or whatever, you know, carrying around. And he's a younger brother, right? And she helps him get born. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in, in a way, she kind of mothers him, you know. Uh, so, so I think that that you're right that that gets her under the umbrella of we are now restraining her to some degree, to the best degree that they could. And there you have it, yes, spiritual entrepreneurs. Carla is so darn cool, and I hope you're ready to pay homage to Artemis before it's too late. You'll be convinced after listening to the second part. Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria for the full divinity, or if you find any value in the content. There are many ways to sub and many ways to support, and one will fit your needs or budget. If you need any help with any of the choices, just let me know. The alternative solution of the Gnostics is more critical than ever in this Philip K. Dick world and Gnostic times. But this is our time to shine like crazy diamonds. We high priests and priestesses of Hermes, the god of thieves, and Sophia, the goddess of smugglers. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. 
BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. From issuance, please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.